0: Our cruising altitude, it's time for the flyover Welcome back to Fly Overview, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland News from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch to the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith, joined by my co-host, Sean Biller. Hey, Sean,
1: you ready to start this show? Are the Capitol Police ready to tase some goddamn Nazis on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, let's start the show. Missouri's new health director says... Masks work? As the fight over mask mandates in schools continues and the state's attorney general wages lawsuits to block them, Missouri's new health director had a clear message on Thursday. Masks work. Donald Kauroff, the director of the Department of Health and Senior Services, said, I rely on the experts at the CDC for that. Everything I've read, everything I've seen, masks work. On Thursday, the seven-day average of new cases in Missouri rose to 2,376 daily a 17.5% increase from the previous week. 29% of lab-confirmed COVID cases in Missouri have been among children. With the increase in positivity rates among adolescents, it only makes sense to wear a mask, Missouri Health Director Kaurau said. But in its lawsuit against Columbia, Missouri Public Schools, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt's office argued masks are unnecessary because of the low risk to children of death a low risk to children of hospitalization and a low risk of children spreading COVID-19, according to their filing. While Kowaroff stressed the importance of local decision-making, he declined to speak to the impact new laws enacted this past legislative session have had on contributing to the virus's spread. When asked if he was concerned the new limits on public health officials' authority were exacerbating the Delta variant spread, the director said, this is one that haunts me. So essentially, in a serious blow to Missouri AG Eric Schmidt's
0: punitive suit against public schools, the new Missouri health director says, masks work. Well, hey, let's go now live for a comment from Governor Goldfish himself. Wow, strong words. As child care options dwindle, Kansas advocates seek funding to address staffing shortages. Throughout the last decade, the number of family care providers across Kansas has decreased as many struggle to retain staff. Low wages and long hours are just part of the reasons why. As of last year, 16 Kansas counties had no child care openings for infants or toddlers, and advocates say lawmakers must step up and provide permanent funding to ensure child care centers can be fully staffed and avoid closure. A 2020 needs assessment update conducted by the Kansas Children's Cabinet and Trust Fund showed the poverty rate for early educators in Kansas is 19.7%, nearly double the 10.2% poverty rate for other workers in Kansas. Many full and part-time workers lack benefits, with only about 30% of these Kansas workers receiving sick and vacation leave. About 15% of child care center employees in Kansas receive no benefits at all. Attracting and retaining a younger workforce is critical because significant turnover, partly due to anticipated retirements, is expected in the coming years. Approximately 45% of the family child care provider workforce is older than 50. Last month, Governor Laura Kelly announced a new program to connect Kansas parents seeking employment with child care services. Those searching for a job through the state workforce center in 62 pilot counties will have access to about $500,000 in funds. In addition, Child Care Aware of Kansas has partnered with the Kansas Department for Children and Families to bring $49 $49 million in financial support for child care program operators. Sustainability grants ranging from $5,000 for family care providers and up to $60,000 for large child care centers were made available to any licensed
1: program in Kansas. This is so important, especially in some of these rugged individualism kind of places. You know, the fact is, if you're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work, you have to have help watching your kids. Yeah,
0: I remember early on in our marriage, uh, when we we were young parents, my wife, who's a school teacher, actually worked at a childcare facility in order to help afford childcare. Like it, it, our daughter was able to go there for half price because honestly, what she was making at her school job as a teacher was not really enough to pay for childcare. So it it, it was this weird situation where we had to figure out whether her working. Would even work for our family, and uh, so the the pittance more that she made as a uh, worker at one of the childcare facilities, and the half price tuition for our daughter was enough to go to work. But man, I'll tell you what, our my our years with
1: childcare were rough. Yeah. Colorado Governor Jared Polis blasts FDA delay on coronavirus vaccine boosters, saying, quote, they have blood on their hands. Using uncharacteristically incendiary rhetoric in a press conference this week, Colorado Governor Jared Polis criticized federal regulatory delays in rolling out coronavirus vaccine booster shots dismissing concerns that third doses are unnecessary and could be better used elsewhere. At the very least, the FDA should get out of the way and allow people to make this choice to protect themselves, Polis said during a news conference. Following a relatively uneventful briefing in which Governor Polis and others laid out the state's plans to distribute booster shots to nursing homes, Polis was asked for his opinion on an article by two departing FDA researchers in the medical journal The Lancet that argued booster shots are unneeded and that vaccine supplies could be better spent on providing protection to unvaccinated parts of the world. As for his thoughts, Polis said we can all celebrate that these two vaccine regulators are leaving the FDA. Quote, they have blood on their hands, and there are thousands of Americans that are dead today because of their delays on the booster shot. The two vaccine regulators, Gruber and Krauss, will leave their posts this fall after clashing with the Biden administration over its plans to offer booster shots to all Americans. The benefits outweigh the costs overwhelmingly, Governor Polis said. The FDA needs to get out of their ivory tower and realize there is a real-life pandemic with 900 hospitalizations in Colorado, tens of thousands across the country. We have the ability to end it. We need to show the will to end it. Federal officials have already approved booster shots for people with weakened immune systems, and Polis has been actively encouraging Coloradans to get boosters. There is no need for a doctor's note to verify health status. People in Colorado will be taken at their word if they show up to a vaccine provider to ask for a booster shot. Polis said about 2.4% of Colorado adults, including his parents, have already received a booster shot. His administration plans to roll out booster shots to nursing homes later this month. Polis went on to criticize the FDA further, praising former President Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed and saying that without it, the FDA would have sat on or delayed the life-saving vaccine for many more months. He called on federal regulators to approve vaccines for kids under 12 and also to develop guidance for booster shots for people who received the one-dose vaccine from Johnson & Johnson. They need to get off their rear ends and provide that guidance, Polis said.
0: I don't know that there's anything more need to add to that.
1: I would just add that this is a follow-up from a story that we did, and I told folks that don't worry about the September 20th date you heard on CNN, call your doctor, especially if you got your first shot eight months ago. And I've been thinking about that since then, as I've watched continuing coverage about, we don't know what's going to happen. And I've been living in a state where, again, just call your doctor, get the appointment, and you can get a booster. I don't know if other states are doing that, but I'm really glad to see this reporting that confirms the, what we said earlier. Texas doctors seeing
0: unprecedented numbers of pregnant patients with COVID-19 urge pregnant people to get vaccinated. Recently, pregnant patients with COVID-19 have come into Texas hospitals at levels not seen earlier in the pandemic, illustrating the severity and contagiousness of the Delta variant amid the state's most recent COVID-19 surge. As of September 4th, about 25% of pregnant women ages 18 to 49 have received at least one dose of the vaccine nationally, one of the lowest vaccination rates in the United States, according to the CDC, and significantly less than the most recent national average in that age group, which is about 61%. Doctors say there's no single reason for low vaccination numbers, although vaccine hesitancy and misinformation have played a role. Manisha Gandhi, chief of maternal fetal medicine at Texas Children's Pavilion for Women and Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, says, we're seeing a lot more of them progress to serious illness very quickly. This variant is much more aggressive and pregnant women are getting sicker much faster. The CDC's recent recommendation that pregnant people get the vaccine has given medical professionals hope that more will do so, but they know it will still be a battle to overcome some of the hesitancy that has set in since the start of the pandemic. Women want to make the best decision for them and their unborn child, and it's a really difficult position when they don't include pregnant or lactating women in the vaccine clinical trial, said Dr. Teresa Baker, regional chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the Texas Tech Health Center in Amarillo. Pregnant and lactating women have long been excluded from initial clinical trials due to the possibility of putting an unborn fetus at risk. So it wasn't a surprise that the same thing happened during the development of the COVID-19 vaccine. But with the lack of initial information about how COVID-19 affects pregnant people and mixed guidance by the CDC and leading medical organizations, many pregnant people felt left in the dark about the best way to protect themselves. Dr. Gerald Goldstein, a founder and medical director of the Fertility Specialists of Texas, said false claims circulating on social media that women will become infertile from being vaccinated have contributed to some of the hesitancy. The online misinformation has definitely created a lot of work for doctors in terms of talking to patients who really, really believe that stuff, Goldstein says. Studies have also shown that receiving the vaccine does not lead to an increased risk of miscarriage or birth defects. Gandhi, the maternal fetal specialist at Texas Children's, said the most important part of her day now is making sure patients realize the benefits of getting the vaccine and how much it reduces the risk of getting sick with COVID-19 and having to be intubated or enduring premature delivery. She also urged people who are pregnant not to wait until they deliver their baby to get vaccinated. The highest risk time is when they're pregnant. Getting vaccines generate antibodies that can cross the placenta and potentially protect the baby. So there's actually a bonus. You're also adding the protection of your baby who may get exposed after delivery.
1: I think a lot of people were frustrated that we didn't have the guidance earlier because we're reluctant to test things on unborn fetuses before we really know that they're safe, at least in the general population. But now that we know, that is really what folks need to be thinking about. If you get sick and you're pregnant, that's going to be a real problem. So the best way to prevent that is to get vaccinated hey there
0: folks i hope you're enjoying the show i want to remind you that we are part of a larger family of podcasts all under the umbrella of the heartland pod you can catch our flagship show the heartland pod on mondays every week where host adam summer interviews folks of interest from around the midwest on any given week he could be chatting up a politician a farmer a scientist you name it. Included in that show is our talking politics section, where our panel of experts dig deep into elections, legislation, and public policy. On Wednesdays, you can get one or even two shows between the Marquise Govan show, focusing on local activism and politics in St. Louis, plus the Delta, where resident science teacher Nicholas Linke breaks down the science behind the big news stories impacting the heartland. And now, the lightning round. A grim reality. As of Tuesday night, 663,913 people in the U.S. have died of COVID-19, according to John Hopkins University data. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the United States' population as of April 2020 was 331.4 million. With this staggering figure, the United States has reached another grim milestone in its fight against the devastating COVID-19 pandemic. One in 500 Americans have now died from the coronavirus since the nation's first reported infection. The U.S. averaged 1,805 new COVID-19 deaths each day over a week as of Tuesday, significantly higher than than the low average of the year, which was only 218, that was reached on July 5th. Currently, only 54% of the population is fully vaccinated.
1: Get ready for the Mu variant, or if you'll allow it, move over Delta. (laughs) A coronavirus variant known as MU was designated by the World Health Organization as a variant of interest earlier this week and will be monitored by the global health body as cases continue to emerge across the world. It is the fifth variant of interest currently being monitored by the WHO. About 2,000 MU cases have been identified in the United States so far. Most cases have been recorded in California, Florida, Texas, and New York, among others. The
0: greatest killer in New Orleans wasn't the hurricane, it was the heat. A huge power failure after Hurricane Ida left vulnerable residents in sweltering apartments for days. At least 10 deaths in the city have been tied to the heat. All 10 were in their 60s and 70s, and they died over four broiling days, the last of which was September 5th a full week after the storm. Historically, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports fewer than 700 heat-related deaths each year, but some studies have estimated 5,000 to 12,000. Last month, the New York Times found that 600 more people died than normally would have died in Oregon and Washington during the heat wave that cooked the region this June. That's three times the state's official estimates of heat-related deaths
1: anti-vaxxers are now gargling iodine to prevent COVID-19 povidone iodine often sold under the brand name betadine is an iodine based treatment largely for topical use that kills bacteria it's a commonly used cleanser in the er and or says kenneth weinberg an emergency room physician in new york city if you're in the er and someone has a wound you use it to clean with when told that anti-vaxxers had taken to gargling betadine weinberg said fuck me of course they are! Well, that's all the time we have,
0: folks. I want to thank you for joining us. If you have a story you feel we should look into and possibly highlight on the show, tweet us at the Heartland Pod. And visit us for our links to all
1: our shows in our merchandise shop at heartlandpod.com. Fly Overview is a production of MidMap Media LLC. This week's episode featured reporting from the Missouri Independent, Kansas Reflector, Colorado Sun, Texas Tribune, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, and Rolling Stone. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Same time, same place. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's Fly Overview. We'll see y'all next week.